right, so I am uh, Chad. It's good to see you through the stream. Just, are you just jumping in? I'm just jumping in. All right. Uh, before we do the intro, because it seemed to work out for our last one, I'm real excited about talking. Specifically, I'm excited about talking about this article on Governor Abbott because I, I find this just to be amusing. I, I, it, I literally laughed out loud when I read this article. Man, I feel like we're just jumping right into a conversation. We, like no guardrails. It's just, just bam. We're, we're just gonna we're just gonna go in. Well, hey guys, welcome to Zachcast. I'm Patrick, and I've got Chad with me today, and we're gonna talk kind of all over the map. We have not had a chance to do a podcast in December yet, so we're gonna jump around a little bit. We're gonna talk about sales tax numbers that came out last week, uh, and then we're also gonna talk about this article that I was joking about at the beginning. If if we don't cut that out beforehand, um, about Governor Abbott is considering putting the state police in Austin for uh, law enforcement, state control of law enforcement around the central Austin area. So portions of downtown around the state capital, which to be fair, they, they do anyways. And uh, the University of Texas campus, which I believe he is an alum of and has, uh, has done a fantastic job of keeping it together over there, both from a presidency standpoint and a football team standpoint. So with that, Chad, why don't you jump into some of our sales tax numbers? I, we're going to go through this real quick. It's not going to be like a game day episode. Uh, we're just going to talk generally statewide, how everybody performed and what we saw. So what do you got, Chad? Yeah. So unfortunately, the comptroller came out with their public data quite a bit late last week and our timing just couldn't quite work. So no game day episode this month, but uh, sales tax for December was down two and a half percent. So kind of a coming back to earth after uh, like 6% growth in November. Uh, just looking through some of the top cities, I mean, everybody was down. Uh, Houston down 12, San Antonio basically flat, but down a little bit. Dallas down eight, Austin down three, Fort Worth down about 1.6. Uh, Arlington, the first big city that's up, up about 5%. El Paso slightly down at uh, half a percent. Frisco actually was up almost 6%. Uh, Round Rock, Plano, Corpus down. I mean, you look at this first like top 25 cities, it it's very red. So kind of, you know, back to, uh, back to that slower trend, the, uh, the slightly decreasing that we saw for a few months, we had that anomaly last month, which we, uh, you know, raised concerns about whether that was a fluke, whether it was uh, sort of a rebound or, or what it looks like it was just kind of a fluke at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, overall the numbers were significantly flatter, but that's, if you think about the time of year that it is, it'd be October sales. Um, you know, generally you don't see big ebbs and flows in October. Uh, you know, you start to see that in your, your, obviously your January data as you start to report uh, November sales for the holidays. I think really January and February are going to tell us a lot. I have a question though. If anybody was watching our LinkedIn page the day that sales tax came out, they would have noticed that Chad posted a, a GIF of, you know, us hitting the reload uh, button on the keyboard. Did somebody fall asleep at the comptroller's office, Chad? It was like it was like two o'clock before data came. Uh, out, right? It was it was around noon. It's about it was, okay. three hours late. Yeah, it's usually about nine fifteen, nine thirty in the morning. So it's just I mean, holiday season, man. Maybe Chaz had a late. Someone night. had some eggnog. Someone I, I had some eggnog. Maybe there was <laughs> a holiday party. You know who knows? But uh, yeah, we were waiting around for uh, for sales tax data a little bit longer than we we normally do. And, uh, you know, so we weren't able to get that episode out, but overall, eh, you know, I wouldn't say a terrible kind of a month. Way to end the year. Yeah. It's kind of, eh. but, uh, 
you know, a lot of our cities saw positive gain numbers even throughout their fiscal year, which was uh, interesting with COVID. Uh, and yeah, you know, on, the, on the bright side, for the entire year of 2020, um, all cities across the state were up 0.36%. So all things considered, it could have been a lot worse. Not bad for the COVID economic collapse that we saw of 2020. Okay, so let's talk about something that is equally disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) So you kind of hinted at it. Correct. Why don't you kind of go back through what happened in Austin and then how how the governor is continuing to respond to this. Okay, so this this will be in the show notes. Uh, there's an article from the Texas Tribune from December 3rd. Uh, it Basically, Governor Abbott was at a campaign event, and at his campaign event, he told his supporters that he is considering placing law enforcement uh, for central Austin under state control. Um, he, he floated the idea in a – it was actually a teletown hall, uh, and it was in response to a defund the police conversation – and this continues to be in response to Austin reallocating about a third of its budget to non um, other departments that are outside of police. Some of them have to do or are the same functions just being done by different departments. Now, some of it is budget cut. We have a whole conversation on that in another podcast. And so, and then we wrote, we wrote about that in a newsletter a couple of months ago, a couple months ago, we wrote about it in a newsletter. So you can catch up on that as well. Uh, Chad can link that in the show notes as well. So if you really want to catch up on what that, what Austin actually did, that's there to, uh, you know, you can catch up on that. So all that being said, I find it amusing, laugh out loud, hysterical. When I sent this to Chad, I think I sent it to you like on December 4th, but when I sent this to Chad, I was literally laughing out loud because the governor is the state really going to take over law enforcement control? Because I, I, I feel like cities are already paying a huge, substantial burden of law enforcement, um, and the state does very little. They do some for small cities, right? Like if you have a major crime in a small city or you have a bad accident on an interstate, DPS and the Texas Rangers are get there, and they're excellent support and they're fantastic in the state of Texas for that. But at the end of the day, um, if I was Austin, I'd be like, oh, so you want to take over policing in downtown? That's going to save me like, I don't know, $200 million a year. It's just an amusing conversation to me from that standpoint, let alone the whole local control argument that I know is going to come up in about, I don't know, T minus five seconds. <laughs> what do you got, Chad? I mean, that's an interesting take. I hadn't really approached it from that angle that like, LOL, we can just cut our budget and then the state's going to fill that gap. Um I I wouldn't suspect that you would see that in say Dallas or Houston. I mean, the reason that this is being proposed is because he works downtown, right? <laughs> that, that's where it's, he's calling it a, at least this is all just conjecture, right? He doesn't, there's nothing formal that's being proposed, but uh, he was talking about something like a capital zone area. Um, and the funny thing that I like, what made me laugh or giggle was when he said that they would just use city of Austin police officers to, to, to do this. <laughs> yeah. Like, so like, are you literally just going to try to fill, fill this gap that uh, the city of Austin, uh, you know, approved in their budget, which again, you can, you can agree or disagree on the merits. That's not my point, but there is a sizable chunk of this quote budget cut it's literally just reallocating the same functions outside of the police department silo. So they're still doing the same things. 
They're just paying for it somewhere else and someone else is managing it. So like, what are we really even talking about here? And this is the kind of budget discussion that is really frustrating for someone who's actually worked in budget because like at the time you saw that there was a lot of uh, public hand wringing about how people are, you know, people are going to die and like the city of Austin is going to become a state of anarchy because of this. And if you actually look at the proposal again, whether or not you agree with it, a large portion of it was literally just pushing paper. It was just moving from this line item to that line item and making the budget for the police department technically smaller, but largely the functions are still in place. Um, what, I think the second episode, the first episode that we ever did of this podcast that wasn't just really about us was about the Bonin tapes, um, which brought up this whole issue of local control. And at the time, the Speaker of the Texas House had been surreptitiously, surreptitiously recorded talking about how his goal was basically to make life for cities a living hell in the, the most recent legislative session. I have a feeling that this upcoming session is going to be very similar, but at some point we have to just let cities run themselves, right? I, I think at some point we have to realize that it's a conservative principle for local control. And Which where, is, where have we lost our way from a standpoint of like at the state? I mean, Abbott, Abbott thought about this enough on his call to actually give the boundaries of the zone. Yeah. Well, so I've actually also found a Texas Tribune article back from September where this is kind of hinted at. So uh -huh. that's like three months where he's been kind of thinking about this, stewing over it, laying the groundwork. Again, nothing is formal. Nothing's formally proposed, but he's I just, out there talking about it. I just want to remind legislators out there the, the heartburn and the backlash that they have gotten from constituents over the last time that Abbott got upset, which was when the city of Austin told him he couldn't cut his tree down. And so they went and changed all of state statutes statewide over tree preservation requirements and now cities are not allowed there are certain provisions cities are not allowed to protect trees heritage trees things like that they can only really protect a tree if it's over 10 caliper inches um but what happened then is because it happened in parker county where we're at in a city next door where a developer went in and clear-cut property and everybody in in the political realm got lit up because everybody was like those are beautiful oak trees why did they go get torn down nothing got built there Till to this day, nothing is built on that property, but they took out hundreds and hundreds of, of oak trees um, from that property. And that was all in response to Governor Abbott being told he couldn't cut down a tree in his own, on his own property. Well, you remember when, when Austin first started talking about this, the original punishment that uh, Father Abbott was going to <laughs> lay out on his children's city you know, mayors yes. and city managers. Uh -huh was he was going to actually do a punitive, a, 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 an openly punitive property tax freeze for yes. cities who defunded their police or perhaps even just reduce the funding by a dollar, who knows? But so, you know, for, for years, we've been told that the property tax quote reforms are, uh, they're really just about fiscal prudency and, and fiscal conservatism. Um, so it was at least nice to see one person openly admitting that they're actually punitive and they're actually intended to, uh, to cause cities, uh, you know, disruption. Um, 
I mean, look, there's a lot of things that the city of Austin does that I don't like. Okay. I mean, personally that I don't like, but we cannot with such a broad brush across the state act like the city of Austin's problems are the same as every other city in the state. I think the big problem here is that this is just sort of like a microcosm of a broader political issue in Texas, which is there, this has been a stronghold of uh, Republican conservative politics and it's changing, like things are changing. Um, and whether or not that means Texas is going to you know, go blue in two years or whatever, um, it's kind of beside the point, but there's this struggle between, uh, between the urban areas and cities and more rural areas and even suburbs and all of those demographics are changing across the whole country. And the biggest problem is that we have taken all of these national political issues and we have just put them on top of local issues to the point where the like local issues almost don't even really exist anymore. It's all just viewed in the lens of national politics. And that's, that's a problem for cities because it doesn't allow them the flexibility or the freedom to, to actually function. Can we just get back to the conversation of why we put a sidewalk in front of Mary and Steve's house so they can walk to school? Like, I mean, literally we, we have the conversations that we would normally have at a local level about improving the quality of life of our residents. Right. Right. Has you are hundred percent correct on that Chad. I mean, it, it is populism has ruled the day. I don't think it's a Republican or a democratic or a conservative or a liberal principle. It's populism. It's a, I need as much Twitter splash as I can get in any given day because I want to rile up as many people as I can. Cause that's how the electorate gets out today. And, and that's, that's what our politicians have been doing. And the reasonable voices are hard to come by. They're still there. I know a lot of them. I respect a lot of them, but when stuff like this comes out, when Abbott makes a statement like this, where is everybody saying, really? Like, like governor, are you really thinking this? I mean, I just, I don't understand. I laughed because it looked like such a, a campaign ploy, right? On one end, he's getting criticized because he's used executive authority without calling a special session, right? On the other end, the election issue for yeah. the, uh, the, the drop-in ballots. Well, no, I don't think it's that. I think it's, uh, or just generally, no, he's being criticized. I mean, Abbott is being criticized. If, if you're watching the, uh, the Shelley Luther, Drew Springer campaign, SD 30, right? Um, Shelley is, is running from the far right and she is heavily critical of Abbott in any campaign event. And, and the reason I know this guys, I, I moderated one of these debates between these two candidates. And so, um, but she is, basically going after Abbott and, and calling him a tyrant because he has dictated everything we have to do during COVID from like his, his ruler's chair. Right. And he didn't call a special session. Now here's the thing. I agree with some of that. I, I think it is crazy in the state of Texas that a governor is able to say basically by executive order or by emergency declaration, and then just write the rules and there's not a requirement to call the legislature in seven to 14 days after or a month after or whatever it may be to basically say, okay, governor, we sign off on that. Because if you do it in a city or you do it in a county, you have to have a county commissioner's court or a city council within seven days by statute, basically say, we're going to continue that or else it goes away. They only have that leeway for seven days. And we don't have that at a state level. So I understand the argument there. But that's one argument of the party 
and he is he is basically going to that same element of the party and he's saying oh but wait i will like nationalize i don't know statalize i don't even know what you would call it the, the austin police department in downtown austin so i'm too powerful on one hand but on the other hand we don't like what austin does so we're just gonna we're just gonna become all powerful and and do what we want to do it's just nothing makes sense like there's no logic to the politics it's just populism it's just what feels good it's exactly that so uh we're recording this what the day after the electoral college voted yes this is the day after. right yep so I think the understatement of the year is probably that we are somewhat polarized in this country. <laughs> I'm trying to be delicate here. So yeah, absolutely. Give, me, give me just a second. We're, we're polarized. There are a lot of reasons for that. We've talked about some of them um, in terms of the, you know, the, the social media aspects of uh, groupthink and how we're sort of isolating ourselves into thought bubbles and and that has a tendency to, to radicalize us. But I think at the end of the day, we're going to have to either get to a point where we can just live and let live on a lot of things, or this is just going to get worse. I mean, our entire system is built around having control of a lot of these issues at a lo- more local level. And if we're just going to push all of these things higher and higher and let someone else exert, exert their control when, when they deem it necessary, uh, then that just makes it that much more important who the governor is, who the president is, right? So like all of a sudden now local issues, it matters who the president is. Why? Why does it matter who the president is or largely who the governor is when you're talking about things that you're, you're talking about? Where are we going to put sidewalks in? How can we make the street safer as our kids are walking to the school bus? How can we provide quality of life enhancements to our residents? Like these issues are local issues, but the trend that we're on is making them more, it's making all of these, this outside noise that much more important and kind of drowning out these actual things that cities are supposed to be focusing on. All I can say is that I, while I loved being in city management, there's a big part of me that is thankful that I'm not having to answer those questions in this environment that we're in right now. I, I would agree with it because, you know, I, I think it would be difficult for me to to respond to the national political rhetoric that has entered local city halls. What, what are you supposed to do? Exactly. You're running, for, you're running for city council on a platform. And the truth is, this is... So you're running for city council on a, on a basically like a national politics platform. Mm-hmm. We had people running for Congress on platforms that sounded like they should be running for mayor. Mm-hmm. Like I'm running for the United States House. And the reason is because the city in which I live has fallen apart. I and better, we yeah. need, you know, we need uh, X and Y and Z. Well, why are you running for, for the House? Why aren't you running as a mayor or a city council member? Well, the, the better one that I heard was, uh, I, I actually heard this at a debate recently with the SD30 debate. I, I'm running for state Senate because I don't think your kids should have to read that book in school. Okay, I, I understand that, but hold on, hold on, wait, wait. So <laughs> I mean, why, not run, that why not any, run for I, school board? 
Yeah. No. Why not just try to be the secretary of education? <laughs> right. There you go. And then yeah. no one in the whole country can read that book. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, I, where does it end? I think it's very, it's become very interesting that um, the movement to the national political realm, the, and, and really, I think politicians at the, at the national or state level have, have really tried to localize their issues, even though they can't solve for them. Right. They really can't solve for them. They've tried to localize the issues because that's what hits the pulse, right? And along the way, they are throwing under the bus every future national politician who's making their way up the food chain by being a city council member, mayor, school board member, or any other locally elected official, county commissioner that would eventually make their way to state office or to federal office. They, and, and you see it within, within your own party. You see it with... Uh, with the presidential election, with all of the Republicanly elected uh, state officials in Georgia just getting absolutely decimated nationally, right? I mean, and, and it happens on the Democratic side as well. I, I'm, not, I'm not ruling out that it's, it's only happening on one side of the party or one party itself. It's, it's happening all over. And at some point, we have to understand that most ideas are best when they're created locally. I mean, a national policy just doesn't fit everybody. No, and if it's a really good policy, then other cities will implement it. Yeah. In a way that works for their environment because every city is different, right? Correct. You don't need national like if an idea is really that good, it doesn't need to be mandated at the state level or at the federal level. People will adopt it, they will adapt it to their needs and adopt it themselves. Absolutely. And we talked specifically about that. Uh, in in the city management realm, right? As city managers, a lot of city managers can create their own policies, but the reality is, is we just cheat off of somebody else and we steal their policy and we just try to make it a little better or form it towards us. I mean, if it's good, people are going to take it and and make it their own, but you can't just have one set policy at the national level and make that everybody's. It's just not going to work. Austin's such a different place. Very different, by the way, like weirdly different than the rest of the state of Texas. And I just, I don't know. I don't know when Abbott's going to get off of this bus. Uh, I'm not sure he's ever going to get off of this bus, but it's, it's starting to become, it's starting to become just funny to me. The problem is I don't see a real solution, at least in the short term, because what you said is I think true. A lot of people run for say city council, county commissioner, sort of as a farm system right? Like their goal, like, I mean, their goal is to move up, right? So they're already sort of eyeing that next seat when they're a city council member or mayor and their sort of politics and the things that they advocate for are in some cases geared towards that next, that next office. So how do you get people into say state level government who actually do care about local control and cities having the flexibility and the freedom to operate in a manner that suits their needs. Such a hard discussion because I think what, in, in my opinion, I believe what is steering politics specifically in Texas is money, right? Ultimately we're seeing a lot of, of money that has a very specific policy angle that steers local politicians. Um, I think there's a big lack of knowledge in there as well. Uh, 
I think we have a lot of politicians that have run for office recently that did not come up the standard food chain. So they don't understand local issues. Uh, It's always humorous to me when somebody tries to tell a school board member how their funding is actually uh, generated through the state of Texas. And they act like it's, it's not a statewide property tax. Um, And that's just not true. I mean, if you look at the way state funding is done, all property taxes throughout the state that are collected on schools are somewhat a state tax. Um, I, I think it's just difficult to deal with, but I want to make this point before we wrap up on this, because I think it's important to actually look at the facts of some of these statements. Abbott says something else that I'm thinking about doing. And that is because we have people coming across the world and across the country into our capital city, as well as to the university that university that's called Texas University. We can't make our fellow Texans be victims of crime because of the city of Austin leadership, Abbott said. And so what I think we need to do is have a capital zone area that the state will be in charge of policing and we can use the city of Austin police officers for this. Here's the problem. Crime in downtown Austin is down. The actual numbers don't reflect the populist message that Abbott is putting across. The only violent crime that's up is homicide, which is that has been. Yeah. But that has, it's Austin is still one of the safer, largest cities. And that trend did not start October 1st when the new budget took effect. That's (laughs) something that has been, been happening for the entire year. And Austin is not the only city that's dealing with that. Fort Worth is dealing with it. Lots of cities across the country are dealing with increased homicides this year. Correct. And a lot of that has to do with COVID. A lot of it has to do with the mental health aspects that are there. And the Austin police chief has actually given some good statements on that. If you want to Google some of that and and look at that, but ultimately guys, crime in Austin is actually down and it was already the safest city before crime was down. And the governor's bringing something up that's there. Now I have my own personal issues with some of what Austin does. I, I'm not a big fan of how Austin handles homelessness. Uh, I felt like we did a much better job with homelessness in Fort Worth. Mm. I know Chad, you had, a, you dealt with that a lot. Um, you know, there are some things in Austin that I look at and I'm like, well, I just don't like the way Austin does that. But guess what? I'm not a resident of Austin. You don't nor live do there. I live there, <laughs> nor do I pay taxes there. So why do I care? <laughs> exactly. So just, you know, look, God, it's like just a bunch of, uh, uh, Gladys Kravitz's like peering through the windows at what Samantha is doing when she wrinkles her nose. It's like, just mind your own business. <laughs> if you don't like it, don't live there. Seriously. But my biggest problem is with the quote that you just read, is what is the limiting principle? We don't, we don't want uh, you know, foreign visitors and out-of-state visitors who come to our great capital city to be victims of crime, and we disagree with Austin's policies. Well, what if you also want them to have fantastic parks and you don't think that Austin's park system is enough or great libraries, right? Cause we talked about how their libraries have had issues recently or like anything like what's to stop the governor from just unilaterally going in, or I guess creating legislation because that, perhaps that's what his proposal is to basically take over a portion of any city across the whole state. If he just disagrees with it, like public safety is not, uh, it's not something that is so, sacred that is the only thing that could be quote you know statized or whatever however you refer to it so i i just don't see where this stops 
I, I just have all the, for me, it just comes down to whatever happened to individual responsibility, whatever happened to local control. I mean, I live in a great city with a fantastic police department, but I still don't depend on that police department for my safety a hundred percent of the time. Right? Like I prepare myself, my own individual self to be safe. And I just, man, I have a real hard problem of Abbott at the same time, taking care of all, all these people who come to Austin, we have to protect them. And at the same time, just, I don't know, man, I just, at some, it just, there's no logic to it. I can't follow a path of where we're currently going as a state. No. And it's, it's, it's largely emotional and you talked about populist and mm-hmm. you know, pop, populism is, it's a form of politics that is geared towards emotional responses and reactionary responses and reactionism does not make for good policy. I mean, how long are we going to allow Twitter to control our political atmosphere? That's the question, right? That's almost, that's, that's almost a perfect question. Yeah. That's essentially I mean, what we're doing. We're letting like the handful of people who lose their minds on Twitter uh, dictate our national discourse. Like, yep. I did a deep dive on a certain part of Twitter last night and it frightened me. <laughs> but the, the other part is like, you don't know how many of those people are just sort of like pushing it. You know, they're just sort of playing a role in how many of those people actually believe it. But that being the case, it makes it even more dangerous to essentially use that as your public opinion polling you know, for, for the policies that you're going to enact. Finding a source of truth in today's world is extremely difficult. It's almost impossible. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you, there is a certain, um, there's a certain area or medium for you to go get that source of truth. But what I'm saying is, is that we should try to stay away from the edges when in search for that truth. Right. Those edges being that deep dive in Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. Stay off Twitter. (laughs) Stay off Twitter. So, um, this is probably, since you're going to be on vacation next week, this is probably the only episode we'll do in December. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would be remiss if we didn't talk about some holiday-related themes. So I know that you have not seen this movie because I don't think that you and your wife care that much about Hallmark Christmas movies, but my wife is an absolute fanatic. There was an, a movie called A Christmas Tree Grows in Colorado. It was new to 2020, and we watched it a few days ago. And I just have to say, so you know how uh, if you're watching a show, say, about a teacher or, you know, education, does your wife ever say to you, like, that's not realistic, like, that's stupid? Oh, absolutely. That would never happen. Okay. And so when we watch shows about lawyers, with the exception for some reason of Drop Dead Diva, which is the worst show ever, but... Uh, my wife will always she she gave that episode that show a pass, but every other show she's like, that would never happen. Come on, that's just, that's ridiculous. Anytime there's a a show that's about city government, that's that's my role, right? Like Parks and Rec was great for the first couple seasons, and then uh, Leslie Nope started to like run for city council while she was the deputy director of the Parks Department, and it was like, come on. First, first off, the the most uh, the character on that show that was most like a city government employee. Who would it be? It would be probably April. I know I know what you're going to say, which is Tom. No, I'm not going to say Tom. Who are you going to say? Tom was the big dude, right? 
No, Tom was, uh, he was Leslie's assistant who would always try to run scams underneath. Oh, that's right. Okay. Right? Okay. Like he yeah, had, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. So no, I would say, I would say, uh, Ron, you think, no, I don't, uh, I don't know. You don't think, I, I th you don't think Ron Swanson was that every city has a Ron Swanson. I a hundred percent. Oh yeah. I believe that every city has a Ron yeah. Swanson, but every city also, especially we had a Ron, department. we had a Ron Swanson in, in Hudson Oaks. We did. Yeah. Um, but it's probably one of, my, of, one of my favorite employees. It just, it's, it's so fun. It's to not, manage. it's not super often that a Ron Swanson gets to a directorship, right. Of a department. That's, that's true. That, yeah. That's why I say April is, okay. is perhaps more representative because she's at the lower level, but anyway, you know, well, you know what I say about that? I don't really care. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> Okay, so a Christmas tree grows in Colorado. Here is the premise. Okay. There's okay. this town in Colorado, and they always have this Christmas fair with a huge Christmas tree. And at the very last minute, the Christmas tree that they had planned for, something went wrong with it. You have to pay attention at the beginning of these movies. Otherwise, the other hour and 45 minutes, like you don't really know who the characters are or what's happening. Because the movie but, could be like 15 minutes, yet it goes an hour and 45? Yes. Okay. Essentially, yes. But so the, the main character of this uh, movie was the director of community development for this city. Her father was the mayor in, in apparently a strong mayor form of government. Um, but she happened across a uh, like across the street from her friend's house. There was this humongous Christmas tree in a, in a front yard, uh, which she immediately decided that that had to be the Christmas tree that they used. Well, unfortunately, a firefighter lived there. And so at one point, a fi the firefighter was, it seemed as if he was going to be using the Christmas tree as leverage in budget negotiations because the her dad, the mayor, had recently cut the fire department budget. And it was like, you're just a firefighter. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're, like, you're not, like there's, obviously there's nothing wrong with being a firefighter, but like, you're in the front lines, right? You're not in the budget negotiations. And then to use your private property for budget negotiations is interesting, an interesting tactic. Um, but he also happened to be an expert in every single fire code uh, that uh, the city had. And he looked at their plans for the Christmas festival and he found, you know, 45 different fire code violations and things like that. So, uh, so that was a sticking point as well. But the best part is that there was an intern at the city and without the mayor's knowledge, uh, apparently just at the whim of his himself, he managed to seize that tree through eminent domain. <laughs> it was the most amazing. Wow. Yeah, the most, most amazing sequence of events in a Christmas movie that I could. So does the remember. firefighter fall in love with the lady that? I'm then, sure they did, yeah. Okay, and then they waived all the the 45 requirements they had to meet. Well, it's so like the, the fire code is, fire code went out the window once they fell in love. No, so he he helped them fix all the fire code issues. Okay. They started to fall in love. Okay. And then of course there's always a hitch, right? So the hitch was he thought she was involved in the eminent domain. Oh. Turns out she wasn't. Okay. You know, spoiler alert. But anyway, and then when uh, he when he found that out, he met her at the airport and made sure she didn't fly away. Yeah. And it was, was all at the last minute. Yeah. The, the whole story resolves in the final minute of the two okay. hour movie, but 
Anyway, all that to say, excellent Christmas movie. If you are, uh, if you want to watch a one of those terrible Christmas movies and also be frustrated at the portrayal of city government, I highly recommend A Christmas Tree Grows in Colorado. Nice. Okay, so uh, let's let's talk real quick about Christmas traditions before we get out of here. Okay. Are you doing Elf on the Shelf this year? We talked about this last year as well, so I got to bring it up. Are you yeah, doing so, Elf on the Shelf? So we have two elves because our, our daughter is now two and she kind of understands it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am still of the belief, at least there's like a small part of me that that views Elf on the Shelf as a sort of a police state training kit, like a con- conditioning tool okay. to help people, to help kids uh, become accustomed to constant surveillance. The truth is that the things that we say about Santa are similar anyway, but you know, Santa isn't like living in your house all day reporting to himself every day. Like the Throw, elves are throwback to the conversation we had with your brother a couple of weeks ago. Where's your tinfoil hat? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's a grand conspiracy. I'm just saying that there is an element of elf on the shelf that does kind of bother me because of that. Uh, but yeah, we have two now and we're going to have three in a couple of years. And I assume we'll have four after that. So. What we did learn today though, is that if you're looking for an elf on the shelf to purchase like today, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get one today. You're not gonna get one, you yeah. have to buy those well before Thanksgiving because uh-huh. they're just gone. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I have, uh, uh, we just did the HOA voting on our Christmas tree lights last oh, night. Did you win? Pfft, no. Seriously. Politics. We got second place this year. Did, what did you get last year? Uh, last year we pulled ourselves out of the race. We, like, we withdrew from consideration. Okay, but did you lose to the house that you thought you would lose to because they do a good job on decorations? Uh, we lost to a house that, while they, I mean, they do a fine job. It's just the same thing. They have a lot of trees in the front yard, and they just okay. wrap all the trees. So it's cool looking, but First, it's that's it. As somebody who has seen your Christmas lights which literally probably could get you on the Christmas light fight, like the television show. I don't know if anybody's family's watched that, but we do. It's cheesy, but it's fun. Um, you pretty much could be on that show. I, I really don't understand how you didn't win. Well, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was talking to someone last night. They were asking me, um, you know, we've had some turnover in our HOA. So the people who, loathed us are no longer on the board but i think there's still some residual resentment over some you know past drama just just a little bit of background here to be fair you guys had against deed restrictions y'all had some people that put up windmills it was it was questionable whether or not uh whether or not the hoa rules and the deed restrictions allowed for that yeah yeah and and prior to all of this going down in hudson oaks we reviewed windmills and we decided against them because they, they literally make a whirling sound. They make like Yeah, a, I can I can hear it in my bedroom. Yeah, correct. So, sorry, go ahead. So, uh, anyway, so so they asked this person asked, "Well, why don't you just run for the HOA board?" And my response was, "So well, I can't be a recluse if I'm running for the HOA board and I get to know all my neighbors." <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, this I don't know. Did they think that was funny or because you were actually serious about that statement? I was serious, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> At the end of the day, all that really matters is that since we started putting up our Clark Griswold Christmas decorations, mm-hmm. our neighborhood has really stepped up its game. We have probably 10 houses that 
I wouldn't say they go all out, but they do a lot more than they used to. So if you know, we're increasing the overall Christmas cheer of our neighborhood, I'll just take that as a consolation prize. That's good. It's like the movie Elf when they're trying to get Santa back off the ground. And yeah, he, and needs they also, the, he needs the he song needs and the Christmas yeah. cheer. Yeah, that's good. I've watched that movie. My kids love Elf. It's, it's killing me. Uh, also, last but not least, Christmas morning or Christmas Eve? Like when do y'all open presents? When does Santa come to y'all's house? Oh, that was a really strange way of phrasing that question. Uh, we open presents on Christmas morning. Okay. But here, so here's an interesting thing. Well, it's probably not that interesting, but whatever. <laughs> so uh, in my family, we would always get up super early, like 4.35 o'clock. Like me and my brothers would just wake up uh, really early on Christmas morning and we would go open presents. My wife's family, she was an only child, and she would get up like 9.30 on Christmas morning, like just no rush to open presents. Uh-huh. So that was always- She had str- everything she needed already. I don't, I'm sure she did pretty well on Christmas, but yeah. it was just never a, I have, to, uh, you know, I have to wake up super early for this type of event. So now that we have kids and they both get up super early, she's having a, she's having a world of hurt. Do you start the In coffee pot changing. like super early? Because Starbucks well, is not open on Christmas morning, so you've got to like make your own pot of coffee. Put yeah. that cake up in there. <laughs> that's true. Get that carafe going. Uh, <laughs> so, do you uh, do you videotape your kids open? All right, videotape. That's like dating me, but like, do you record video of uh, Christmas morning? A little bit. Like, I don't do much. I take pictures. Um, Did your parents used to do that? They used to videotape us, and I'm not sure whatever happened to some of those tapes. But uh, we have pictures of, of like us being kids and like, you know, we got a new bike. So we go outside and ride a bike. I wonder uh, if that was just a weird moment in time for the generation that we were in growing up, like when video cameras became a bit more ubiquitous. Yeah. Did you ever go back and watch a video of you no. opening presents? No, that's actually I why know we I, didn't. Yeah. That's why I take still photos, right? Of most things, because I actually do, especially with Apple, because they do a good job of like, you know, every month giving you like a slideshow of what happened the previous five years or 10 years. Um, I, I take a lot of still pictures and I usually go back and look at them and we do these family scrapbooks every year that Jennifer does in the middle of summer. And she goes and gets all the photos off of both of our phones. And it's kind of a cool thing, but no, we don't do, I mean, I do videos of like my kids playing sports. That's, that's about it. I have, I have one 20 second video of my oldest opening his Santa presents at like two. And the only reason that I, we ever watch it is because uh, he saw an octopus and he, he looked at, he grabbed it and he looked at us and he goes, octopus. <laughs> we didn't know he knew what an octopus was. So it was kind yeah. of funny. Uh, but yeah, otherwise we, we don't go back and watch those videos. That's an advertisement for zoo school. Cause I know he's a big zoo school kid. Oh yeah. If you yeah. are in the Dallas Fort Worth area, highly recommend the Fort Worth zoo school. No, first off the Fort Worth zoo is an amazing zoo. If you've never been, it's like one of the best in the world now, right? I think they've moved up since they've opened the whole giraffe exhibit. Yeah, they used to have, oh, that's a pretty cool little that's thing, awesome. but they used yeah. to have this big billboard on my way home from Hudson Oaks that was like number four zoo in America or something like that. I think it's like number two or one now. I think they've moved up quite a bit since they've opened like the whole Sahara exhibit that they've got now. It, I mean, it's like twice, the, the zoo's like almost double the size is what it was before, right? It's like, it's pretty that big. Whole, that whole new exhibit area is incredible. The only problem I have with the Fort Worth Zoo is it's just long. So like to walk from one end to the other just takes a while. 
but we went to the San Diego Zoo a few years ago and it was nice, but it, I, if I remember correctly, it was really hilly. Were you on, uh, were you on budget staff at Fort Worth when they privatized the zoo? Were you part of the drench team? No, no. Okay. That was before you. Yes. Okay. Cause they privatized the zoo. I think they privatized the Fort Worth herd too. Uh, the herd was, was with the city when I was there. Okay. So, and then, uh, they were trying to do it with the golf courses, but they could just never get them profitable to do it. So, but <laughs> I like the golf courses though. Don't take those away. I play them as often as I can get over there. But, we were looking at not to name names, but we were looking at a city recently a couple of days ago and they were losing two and a half million dollars on their golf courses. Is that right? Yeah. They were also losing almost two and a half million dollars in their utility funds, which I, I don't think I've ever seen that. No, that's a, what? We need to bookmark or uh, jot down in our notes a discussion about subsidies in a future episode. <laughs> Correct. It was a pretty subs- – I, I think I went down like this rabbit. I was looking into some things, and anyways, it led me to a city's website, and it led me to that city's CAFR, and it led me to page 64 of the CAFR, and I saw it. I think I took a screenshot of it, and I sent it out to all, all like our governmental nerd friends. I didn't just send it to our Zach folks. I actually sent it out to a couple of city managers as well. And uh, the first response I got was, uh, I don't think I've ever seen a utility fund that far in the red. I'll tell you what we need is we need Greg Abbott to come in and fix that. Yeah, Greg Abbott needs to step <laughs> up and get that fixed. And Attention, folks- Mr. Governor, if you're yeah. listening. And folks, we're, we're going to end with that one. But um, hey, from, from Chad and I to y'all's family, it's the holiday season. We know it's COVID. Great news is we're going to get past this. Uh, but happy holidays, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, uh, and Happy New Year. So uh, real happy to have you guys on ZachCast. And uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Chad. Hey, but hey, when we get back on our next episode, you get to tell us all about how Disney World is during a oh, pandemic true. at yeah. Christmas. Hey, 35% capacity with no lines over an hour. I'm going to take it all day. We'll see how that goes. So, but yeah, we'll, we'll jump on that in the next episode. All right. We'll see y'all later. Boom. Do I stop recording?